Isn't that a beautiful sight? The beauty that humans can create all that, that awe using technology, using technology that they created. See, at the end of um, this movie that says, um, don't look up, and I've said it many times before, people have stopped looking up. They sat there around the table knowing that their death was imminent. And they said, wow, we really did have it all. And it's so hard for someone to understand things that um, have come and gone and what's really going on. Everyone on this planet right now is sleeping. There was a passage in the Bible. I want to say it's Thessalonians. Therefore, let us not sleep like others. Let us watch and be sober. Everyone um, understands that when there is change and when there is advancement, there are birth pains. The year 2022 will be a year of recompense. It's the word of the year. Recompense. This is where you get divine order. Where if you have done good service, you will get more. If you have done a disservice, you will pay for that. We're starting to see it now. The year of recompense is here. I wish I could just tell you guys that everything's going to be perfect, but I can tell you it's coming in hard, real hard. It's going to come in like Haros. What do they call? Uh, The Grim Reaper. And boy, will he reap. But the exhale and the sigh will be halfway through the year. And it's, and, and it is, and it's supposed to happen this way. See, my sadness doesn't fall for you and your family or my family or my friends. But for those that are in pain that have caused so much pain. It's just not right. Regardless, we have a very forgiving God, a very forgiving God. And it feels like, how do I, it feels like those things that you do not understand, you will. And those things, see, there's things, you know, there's things you don't know, and there's things you don't know you know. So today I thought I can introduce you to some of those things uh, that will be useful going forward for 2022 because we're celebrating it now, Uh, which is weird, but okay. Kind of feels like October, you know, but um, I think it's important for us to understand what recompense means. This is where, this is the time of the birth pains. Wealth and position will be placed in the hands of the righteous. And no, I'm going to tell you that others will not like that. Churches have refused to apply and invoke his word. See, there are times, oh, what is it? The, I'm trying to find the think it's two chronicles. Give me a second. Let me look it up. That came to mind. That explains it. 
<clears throat> okay. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land, heal their land. There's stipulations. See, just like any parent, there are stipulations. If you do this, I will do this. This is a time where we actually have to start looking up <clears throat> because lawlessness and violence is coming and not because he is doing it, but because he is allowing it. There are so many people right now that believe lies. No one is sober enough to perceive the truth. They can't step out of the forest to see it. They can't. They just can't step back. People have been completely deceived. They're comfortable in their sin. They're comfortable in the deceit. They are comfortable in lawlessness. Think about it. This year in 2020, we saw so much so much lawlessness, so much deceit. Even the people themselves that are pushing the deceit understand that it is deceitful. They understand it is deceitful. People are waiting for things to instantly change, to go back to, to what? When you didn't have these problems, when you were comfortable in what? Not knowing, you can't unsee, you can't unhear. It's not going to happen. I am so sad. You know, sometimes I get overwhelmed when I'm like, ha, 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 they'll get theirs. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, no matter how evil they are, no matter how bad they are, they're hurting. You know, they are really hurting. So when I tell you it's going to be the year of recompense, I'm telling you it is going to be recompense. And there is no going back to when there's no normal. It wasn't normal before. You're seeing it. The veil is lifted. Yes, deals are being cut and done, but you will see those that need to be held accountable. They all will have their time and there will be recompense. There will be. But what will happen? What is it that will happen? Are you a winner or a loser? Losers lose. And if you create a culture of losing, and if you're constantly a victim, losing will happen to you. If you keep letting people do to you what causes you to feel a loser, you will remain a loser. So you take ownership of everything around you. Take ownership so you can apply solutions. That's how you solve problems. Stop backing up into everything. Stand up. Move forward. Start to walk a little different. Start to be that best version of you. Because you got to look at you and go, okay, okay, okay. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to push back. I'm not letting this. You need to get obsessed. You need to get relentless. You need to change your attitude that you're going to win. Because right now I'm going to tell you it's going to be coming one after another, after another, after another after another. So I'm going to give you a peek into crystal balls throughout time and also Operation Popeye. Because damn, is that taking a forefront this year or what? While you'll be hearing rumors of wars and so much war, a nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, it's going, right? You don't have to worry about it because he picked this nation. He created this nation. And I think someone earlier today, I saw it, shared it. 
shared it actually said, I think I, I don't know if they were talking about that, but it says a little one shall become a thousand and a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord will hasten it in its time, in his time. Um, so right now, while December was slow, I mean, it's still not the next year yet. It'll be really quick and it'll come really hard, really quick, really hard, really quick. So I thought um, today to introduce you so you maybe can understand where these... Um, now, obviously, this clip kind of takes it into the woo-woo, doesn't get into the more quantum area of it and how things are done and the understanding how time is not linear and how there are multiple realities playing out at the same time, those that have uh, condensed and collapsed. Right now, our our collapse, moment of collapse, and you'll feel it, is on January 6th, which by the way, I'm just giving you guys a heads up. Monday, there will be no show. I will be traveling. I will be traveling all next week, but I will bring my equipment and attempt to have a show. I mean, I can from my laptop. The audio is a little bit shoddy, but I will try to keep you updated. Um, next week is... Um, is going to be, you're going to see it and you're going to feel it too. So let's begin with understanding quantum questions, mysterious questions. See, I've talked about how we can communicate with no internet, no phone lines, right? This happens. There's a very specific type of um, machine that actually had this, <laughs> had this quality, Decades, decades, decades ago. So I think it's um, time I introduce you to that machine. So you can see how messages can come through time. So weird. Messages through time, like clockwork. Let me get this going for you. Messages, which at first seemed to be a prank or quirk of the computer, quickly grew into a strange time-defying communication with a man from the 16th century named Lucas. This might be dismissed as a simple ghost story or urban legend had the details not been so difficult to explain away. Thankfully, Ken chronicled the events in this book, The Vertical Plane, published in 1989, a tome that's so rare that this one cost me £165 to get hold of. But despite its relative obscurity, the events were so compelling they were subject to various investigations by official bodies and even featured in an episode of Out of This World from 1996. To this day, they've never really been explained. Now, before we get into it, I'd like to draw your attention to a place where you can find equally as fascinating documentaries. Thank you to sponsor CuriosityStream for making this video possible. A subscription based as the technology test of a world year. 12 months graduated the University of Aberystwyth in 1976 and shortly after, in 1984, found himself in the village of Doddleston in the United Kingdom 
in a small abode known as Meadow Cottage. Doddleston is a small and quaint village. It has a pub called the Red Lion, which still exists and operates to this day. And it's a few meters further down the road at the corner of Kinnerton and Church Road, but you'll find Meadow Cottage. You can see it's an old converted farm building divided up into a medley of small dwellings. This image taken of Meadow Cottage in 1986 shows how little it has changed. It still even appears to have the same front door. But it's within this home during the autumn of 1984 where Ken's story begins. At the time, Ken was a teacher at Harden High School, a secondary school 17 minutes drive away just over the border in Wales, and a school that was firmly in the middle of the UK's computer literacy project. Margaret Thatcher's government were keen to push the UK forward as a leader in computing, and so, in conjunction with the BBC, had brought Acorn Computers on board to create the BBC Micro. This home computer would have its own television program to ease the masses into home computing, and soon after, almost every school in the UK would be kitted out with these machines. Harden was one of the luckier schools, and had enough setups to loan out to teachers so they could work on and acquaint themselves with the hardware. Living in the cottage at this stage were Ken, his girlfriend Debbie, who was notably some 10 years younger, and a friend passing through, Nick who slept in the upstairs studio whilst Ken and Debbie took the bedroom. Ken had decided to hire out a BBC Micro so that Nick could work on some English performance projects using the word processor Edward. Now, this is the Edward chip. The BBC Micro was an incredibly capable yet expandable machine, so in addition to the operating system and basic ROMs, you could add your own custom ones, giving the machine built-in capability. A lot of school-bound micros would have this installed as standard, the rationale given in the Edward Teacher's Guide being to provide secondary pupils with the opportunity to experience something they might expect to encounter in the outside world in a manner that meets their needs and matches their abilities. However, it would provide Meadow Cottage with an experience that no one had expected. Edward is accessed by booting the BBC normally, then typing Edward and return. We're then presented with a list of options, and pressing C will start a new document. You then have to type in a document name, and when you exit out of the document, Edward will then automatically ask if you want to save the document. As Christmas ebbed closer, the household decided to pop out to their friend David Lovell's house, leaving the BBC Micro on, albeit at the boot screen. On return, Ken decided to have a glance at some of Nick's work. However, upon calling up the disk contents using Edward's index command, had found a file called KDN, which read as follows. Ken, Deb, Nick, true are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat, went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. 
Given it wasn't something Nick had created, they mostly brushed it off as a prank by John, a friend who occasionally popped around to record some guitar tracks with Ken, with a view to possibly starting a band. But Ken couldn't help but feel a chill run down his spine. The computer went back to school, and another wasn't borrowed until February 1985. Again, one evening, it was accidentally left on, and again, a new file appeared. Reate. Seemingly the latter part of Create. I write on behalf of many. What strange words thou speak, although I must confess that I have also been ill-schooled. Sometimes methinks alterations are somewhat barful, for they break many asleep in mine bed. Thou art goodly man, who hath fanciful woman who dwell in mine home. I have no want to affray, for only since mine half-witted antic has ripped a twain mine bound, hath I been wreathed tonight. I have seen many alterations, lastly charge house and their home. Tis a fitting place, with lights which devil maketh, and costly things that only mine friend Edmund Grey can afford, or the king himself. "'Twas a great crime to have bribed mine house. L.W. The first message had almost been dismissed, but there was something deeply mysterious about these new words emanating from the BBC Micro. L.W. Who was L.W.? What were these strange words? By the sound of it, L.W. was under the impression that someone had stolen his house. Back at school... Ken decided to discuss these antics in the staff room, perhaps see if anyone had any ideas on these strange happenings. Most dismissed it as some kind of prank by a friend, or even someone breaking into the house. But the English teacher, Peter Trinder, had a different, more inquisitive view, mainly sparked by the words seeming to fit with 16th or maybe 17th century English. Another interested party was John Cummins, who lived in the village but worked as a solicitor out of London. It was he who voiced the need to reply to whatever this was. And so, with the crisp snap of winter still filling the air, and Peter's view that whoever or whatever this was possibly spoke with a 17th century tongue, the trio began to write. In the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. Dear LW, thank you for your message. We are sorry for disturbing you. What would you like us to do? Did you live in a house on this land in about 1620? Do you want us to tell you more about our time? Why write a poem? Who is Edward Grey? Is he related to the Edgerton family? Do you have a family? Is the King James or Charles Stuart? What is the charge house? Was this village called Doddleston in your life? And how many families lived here? Thank you very much for your messages. Thank you for not making us afraid. Ken, Debbie and John. Leaving this message on the screen, they retreated to the Red Lion pub around the corner, thinking or hoping it may prompt a reply. And sure enough, later that day... "'Twas an honest farm of oak and stone. It is helpful that you should tell me about thy time. Dost thou have horse? Edmund Grey, brother of John Grey, lives at Kinnerton Hall. Thy king, of course, is Henry VIII, who is six and forty. I know what of King James.' Mine charge house is a place of law, schooling, LW, 28th of March, Anno 1521. The problem was, if they were really talking with someone from the past, then this reply was littered with inconsistencies. To start with, in 1521, Henry VIII was only 30 years old, not 46. Still, Ken didn't want to contest too much, 
After all, he didn't really know what they were dealing with. Was this an intruder? A weird program on the computer? A prankster? Or was this really someone from the past? The strange and perhaps modern grammar of question marks and brackets also confused the issue. Ken would continue borrowing the BBC from school, but ideas of using it for scripts were a distant memory. The intention was now purely to continue this strange communication and see where it led. In the next message, many snippets of information were given up. That the time traveller's house had redstone footings, that he has to sow barley early for ale, and that he needed to go to Nantwich to visit a farming friend, Richard Wishall. Strange information to convey. The Traveller seemed keen to make it clear that Ken was trespassing in his house, however, and on this occasion signed off with a name, Lucas. A name that would be further expanded out on subsequent messages to Lucas Wayneman, LW. This raft of information was unexpected, but began to provide a basis for fact-checking and investigation. A story was being built up. Names like Richard Wishall could be investigated, a clearer vision of his time could be assessed, and significantly it now seemed like Meadow Cottage could be placed on the same plot of land that Lucas had seemingly lived upon in the 16th century. Red stone could be found under the kitchen and soil around Meadow Cottage, which seemed to tie in with the description of Lucas's house. But the most compelling evidence of all came from Peter Trinder, who had been tracing Lucas's words, and managed to tie them back to the exact time period. Not just the words either, but the sentence construction and the distinct combination of words with use of Latin could all be pinpointed back to the Cheshire era in the mid-16th century. The earlier inconsistencies also appeared to correct themselves. During further discourse, Lucas reveals himself to be living during the era of Henry VIII's marriage to Catherine Parr, so sometime between 1543 and 1547, and claimed to have studied at Bracenose College in Oxford. However, when Ken wrote back, mentioning he was from 1985, this further complicated the matter. You said your time be 1985. We thought you were all from 2109, like your friend whom did Spring Leam's Boist pray. Lucas seemed to not only be speaking to Ken, but also to someone from the year 2109, who he claimed had appeared and brought the Leam's Boist, or Box of Lights, to his time in the first place. This is his term for his version of the BBC Micro. Ken decided to write back to 2109, with a simple message. Calling 2109. Ken, Deb, Peter. We are sorry that we can give you only two choices. One, that you either have your predicament explained in such a non-rhyme way that you may have instant understanding but cause what should not happen. Or, two, try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall, in your lifetime, changes the face of history. We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly, but give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God, whatever he, it, is. This direct and strangely spelt response then seemed to be from the future. Two apparent lines of communication were now open, and this time slip 
suddenly seemed to have purpose, although it was beyond the understanding of Ken, Debbie, and Peter. At this point, Nick had moved out. To add to this situation, there also seemed to be a raft of paranormal activity happening in the cottage during this time. Tins would stack themselves up in the kitchen. Chalk markings appeared around the house, sometimes with words. The sounds of walking could be heard, and strange feet impressions would appear on surfaces. On the 15th of May, Debbie noted, I dropped Ken off at school after spending the night at East Green, then drove over to the cottage to feed the cats. It was 9am. Uh, it was not till I walked up the path to the front door that I sensed something was very wrong. Perhaps it was the cats sitting on the garden wall watching me rather than circling my feet as they usually do, which prompted this unease. I turned the key in the lock and pushed the door open. In the living room, I came face to face with a six-foot-high pile of furniture. It appeared to me in that instant to have been tossed by the little finger of a giant. Instantly, I took a step back and out of the door and slammed it shut. The cat still watched me in silence from the wall. I didn't know quite what to do. Whatever was happening at the cottage was no longer just an intriguing puzzle. It was now a destructive and potentially dangerous situation. With the humble BBC still innocently left blinking at the heart of the conundrum. Shortly after, Debbie investigated ley lines, direct alignments related to ancient landmarks, and found one to be running almost directly through their cottage. Following this, she began to receive visions of Lucas, and even dreams where she apparently interacted with him. With the situation becoming ever more unusual, Peter Trinder had convinced Ken to go to the Society for Psychical Research and see what their view was. It was John Bucknell and Dave Welch who had arrived from the SPR, and after a few initial unsuccessful sittings, they proposed a test where they would write ten questions on the BBC to this entity, or entities known as 2109, in isolation from Ken and the rest of the household. Then they would delete them. If a reply to the questions came, then Ken's group should alert them immediately. Several days passed, and a response came back. David, John, David, you interfere with communication. Next time you decide to perform your little experiment, you must be clear from here. We suggest you try someone else to sit with Debbie. Yes, we are what you would call a tachyon universe, but your understanding is incorrect. We ask nothing more of you than to carry on as you would prefer. We will have John present if given choice, or you may bring another as mentioned. No, it is no concern to us that this is not proved. We will give you a plotting of a star next time. We move at a speed so that we cover every point in your time and universe. We have no form and feed of a neat energy that you will not have heard of 2109. On hearing this, Dave Welch responded, 2109 had not answered the questions, but it seemed they had picked up all the questions left for them in the same order. Finally, 
it appeared that Ken, Debbie, and Peter had proof. They had been categorically denied access to these questions during the test, and given 2109 seemed to know what they were, they could now be excluded as possible hoaxers themselves. At least, that's what they hoped. In reality, the SPR went quiet. They began to speculate that perhaps sensitive microphones could have been carefully placed to pick up the sounds of typing, which could then be used to deduce what had been written on the computer. They also suggested that perhaps someone was using the earth wire of the electricity supply to send and receive data through the micro. Whatever their view, John, shortly after, left the SPR, Dave Welch disappeared without a trace, and an official report was curiously never filed. Here I've got a copy of the Mail on Sunday, dated 29th of December 1985, a period of significant snowfall across the UK among the duty-free terror of course. But the paper is significant because shortly after this debacle, Ken, Debbie and Peter reached out to the Chester Observer about their ordeal. Now, I couldn't source a copy of that particular publication, but various other newspapers reported on Ken's story, including this one. Complicated modern computer technology is the latest plaything for ghosts, or at least one very peculiar poltergeist in particular. Oxford-educated Thomas Harden had been dead for more than 400 years, but that does not stop him enjoying a good session on a BBC micro after a hard day's toil on the farm. But for a 16th century gentleman who should not really know a floppy disk from a codpiece, his mastery of 20th century scientific skills is rather impressive. But most of the historical information he feeds back to Ken and a friend, English specialist Peter Trinder, is interesting and correct. Ken, a doubting soul, originally thought that someone was playing a prank. Now, more than 150 messages later, he is not so sure. There definitely was a Thomas Harden who was the Dean of Brasenose College Chapel at Oxford in the late 1530s. He was expelled for refusing to remove the Pope's name from prayer books during Henry VIII's purge on Roman Catholicism, and appears to have settled for a quiet farming life in Cheshire. The Society for Psychical Research has investigated the case no fewer than eight times, but remains sceptical. Investigator Peter Bucknell, I think that should be John, is convinced some 1985 computer hacker in Ken's village, Donaldston, Cheshire, is responsible. And Mr. Harden, he told the Mail on Sunday, Mine cook save, I shall repent for my adventure, and that it will come to foul issue. But methinks she be yellow and told her so. Is that a I came into this level of awareness no. about the physical planetary grid system after I found a star tetrahedron by connecting cities in North America that lined up in lines. I believe this is the terminus of the planetary grid system and that everything about the advanced ancient civilization was based on sacred geometry, including how all of the physical infrastructure on the Earth was laid out. Once I found the star tetrahedron, I extended the lines out. I used a magnifying glass and wrote down the cities that lined up primarily in linear and circular fashion. And I got an amazing tour of the world of places I had never heard of, with remarkable similarities across countries. 
Sacred geometry is a language of geometric patterns that spans all cultures, timelines, and species on Earth and beyond. It is the foundation of everything in existence when broken down to its smallest parts. This is the flower of life pattern upon which it is based. It is the creation pattern of the universe, and when you connect the centers of each circle, you find all the sacred geometric shapes are contained within it, including but not limited to the star tetrahedron, which is one of the five platonic solids, all of which are contained within the flower of life. The five shapes shown here are within the fruit of life, also known as Metatron's cube, in the flower of life pattern. Named after the Greek philosopher Plato, each one of the platonic solids is a polyhedron, which is a solid with flat faces. Each face is of the same size and shape, and all are convex polyhedrons, meaning having many finite points, but not all in the same plane. They are also associated with the five elements. The hexahedron, or cube, is associated with earth. The octahedron is associated with air. The tetrahedron with fire. The icosahedron with water. And the dodecahedron is associated with ether and the universe. The fifth element has been removed from our education, so we only learn about the first four, earth, air, fire, and water. The original ancient advanced Moorish civilization was concerned with applying sacred geometry in creating infrastructure and communities in harmony, balance, beauty, and unity with each other and the universe. So think of the earth with the flower of life superimposed on it and the ley lines representing the sacred geometric shapes that are contained within the flower of life when the lines are connected to the centers of the circles. My intuitive understanding of sacred geometry, which I first learned about starting in 2007, is what has guided me in uncovering the information I am bringing forward and in finding the alignment that I'm going to focus on in this video. There are many kinds of alignments, all connected to each other. So what I am going to share is one of many possible alignments emanating off of the same place. Before I begin, once upon a time, before knowledge of sacred geometry and the existence of the planetary grid system was removed from the collective awareness, the maps that were made included these alignments, like the 1375 Catalan Atlas, a product of the Mallorcan Cartographic School, that flourished in Mallorca in the 13th, 14th, and 15th centuries. I'm going to start this new series in San Francisco, the cultural, commercial, and financial center of Northern California. It covers an area of about 50 square miles, or 121 kilometers squared, at the north end of the San Francisco Peninsula in the San Francisco Bay Area. San Francisco was said to have been founded by Spanish colonists in 1776 who built a fortification called El Presidio Real of San Francisco or the Royal Fortress of St. Francis of Assisi at what is now simply called the Presidio, a park and former U.S. military installation until 1994, which at that time was transferred to the National Park Service. I looked at a map of the Presidio and noticed Fort Point at its tip, 
where Highway 101 crosses the San Francisco Bay over the Golden Gate Bridge. And sure enough, I found what looks like a star fort tucked away underneath the base of the bridge. Battery Butel is also on the Presidio grounds beside the bridge. This is what it looks like inside the structure of Fort Point underneath this end of Golden Gate Bridge, including a lighthouse, which reminded me of Fort Wadsworth's battery weed on the Staten Island side of the Verrazano Narrows Bridge crossing over to Brooklyn and the narrow channel between Lower New York Bay and Upper New York Bay. Since I knew that Fort Hamilton is located right next to the base of the Verrazano Narrows Bridge on the Brooklyn side, I looked on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge since I consistently find star forts in one or more pairs around the world, and I found Battery Spencer on the other side of the bay right next to the bridge. And underneath the base of the Golden Gate Bridge, I found this old-looking structure with solar panels and stone steps, which is the Lime Point Lighthouse, said to have been built in 1883 and automated since 1961. Based on finding clusters of two or more star forts and lighthouses, for that matter, around the world, all along planetary alignments, and other infrastructure I have shared with you that don't feature the classic look of a star fort, I think all of these function together worldwide as a circuitry producing the power for the planetary grid system and the advanced civilization, and that star forts and batteries were not originally military in nature, as we've been led to believe. Also, this is a comparison of the Golden Gate Bridge on the top with the Verrazano Narrows Bridge on the bottom. They are both suspension bridges, which means the deck of the bridge is hung below with suspension cables on vertical suspenders. The Palace of Fine Arts is right next to the Presidio Park in the Fisherman's Wharf section of San Francisco. It was said to have been built for the Panama Pacific Exposition of 1915, an exposition which celebrated the city and its rise from the ashes from the great earthquake and fire of 1906 and one of the few surviving structures of the exposition. Interesting to note such a massive engineering feat and event like this taking place during World War I which took place between 1914 and 1918 in our historical narrative. Besides having the nickname of the Golden Gate City, other nicknames have included Baghdad by the Bay and Paris of the West. Paris of the West is the name of a craft beer of the Almanac Beer Company of the Hermitage Brewery in San Francisco. The picture on the bottle is the San Francisco Ferry Terminal. The ferry terminal is located on San Francisco's Embarcadero. The Embarcadero is the eastern waterfront and roadway of the Port of San Francisco and built on reclaimed land along a three-mile-long engineered seawall. The San Francisco ferry terminal on the left was said to have been designed in 1892 and opened in 1898. For comparison on the right is the Auckland ferry terminal also said to have been completed on reclaimed land in Auckland, New Zealand, in 1912. Reclaimed land from what? The Legion of Honor Museum, at one time known as the California Palace of the Legion of Honor, is in San Francisco's Lincoln Park. It was said to have been donated as a gift to the city of San Francisco in 1924 by Alma de Bretville Spreckles, the wife of sugar magnate and thoroughbred horse owner and breeder Adolf Spreckles. 
The Legion of Honor Museum is said to be a full-scale replica of the French pavilion at the San Francisco-Panama-Pacific Exposition of 1915 and based on the Legion of Honor Museum in Paris. Dedicated as a memorial to California soldiers killed in World War I, the Legion of Honor Museum in San Francisco opened on Armistice Day, November 11th, in 1924. In the Court of Honor, besides Auguste Rodin's famous cast bronze statue, The Thinker, donated to the museum by Mrs. Spreckles in 1924, there is said to be what is a miniature of the pyramid in front of the Louvre Museum in Paris installed in the courtyard. As a skylight for the museum underneath it, right in front of the entrance. The Louvre pyramids in Paris are said to have been created by the Chinese-American I.M. Pei in the 1980s. Verifiable, you say? Well, maybe so. But as we know, desirable information can easily be added or removed from the database. Who is actually going to question it and check on it anyway? The Legion of Honor Museum is also the western terminus of the Lincoln Highway, of which Times Square in New York City is the eastern terminus. The Lincoln Highway was one of the earliest transcontinental routes for automobiles in the United States said to have been conceived of by Indiana entrepreneur Carl G. Fisher in 1912 and formally dedicated on October 31st in 1913. The Legion of Honor Museum is located in San Francisco's Lincoln Park, which is also home to a golf course, which I believe are actually ancient mound sites. Just carve out a section of a mound and voila, you have a sand trap. Next, I'm going to take a close look at Alcatraz Island, 1.25 miles or 2 kilometers offshore from San Francisco in San Francisco Bay. It is best known as an infamous federal penitentiary for troublesome prisoners. The first thing that draws my attention are the relatively flat and relatively level sections at the top of this small and rocky island. The next thing that draws my attention is the lighthouse. To put the lighthouse into the context of the historical narrative we have been given, the island of Alcatraz was said to have been given by the Mexican governor, Pio Pico, to Julian Workman in 1846 to build a lighthouse. Workman was a member of the Workman and Temple families prominent in the history of the Los Angeles area. Then in 1850, President Millard Fillmore ordered that Alcatraz Island be set aside specifically as a United States military reservation. This also would have been during the historical time frame of what we are told was the California gold rush between 1849 and 1851. This is a daguerreotype of Portsmouth Square in San Francisco from sometime before June of 1851, which was when the Great Fire of San Francisco of 1851 was said to have started in Portsmouth Square. Millard Fillmore was the vice president to President Zachary Taylor, who was said to have died of problems from something he ate several days after attending a July 4th celebration in 1850. So he became President Millard Fillmore in 1850. Millard Fillmore was also the president who ordered Commodore Matthew Perry to Japan in 1853 to force the opening of Japanese ports to American trade by any means necessary. 
As I have indicated previously in other videos, I believe that 1850 was the main starting point of the new historical narrative, with the official kickoff of it being in 1851 at the Great Exhibition of the Works of All Nations in the Crystal Palace in London. Back on Alcatraz, I find it interesting to note the Rocky Promontory, the lighthouse is located on the left, is quite similar in appearance to the Rocky Promontory on the right that Edinburgh Castle in Scotland is situated on. Another thing to point out is the location of this lighthouse and Alcatraz with respect to the Golden Gate Bridge and the two lighthouses on either end of the bridge. It really looks like there was a triangulated relationship between the lighthouse on Alcatraz Island, the Fort Point light on the Presidio side of the Golden Gate Bridge, and the Lime Point light on the other side of the bridge. And there was a whole series of lighthouses throughout the San Francisco Bay, just like what you find at New York Bay on the East Coast. While I do believe that lighthouses serve to guide ships through maritime passages, I also think they were serving multiple purposes on the planetary grid, including, but not limited to, astronomical alignments. This is the War Memorial and Performing Arts Center, said to be one of the last bow arts structures erected in the United States and built between 1928 and 1932. And what was the San Francisco Emporium, which was called at the time it opened in 1896, the grandest mercantile in the world. Its original structure survived the 1906 earthquake and fire, but not urban developers after it closed in 1995. Since that time, most of the building was demolished, with the exception of the dome and facade to be used in a new building. This is a comparison of the inside of the San Francisco Emporium back in its heyday with the inside of the Corn Exchange in Leeds, England, which was said to have been built between 1852 and 1858. Next, the alignment crosses the Central Pacific Ocean to Tarawa, an atoll, and comprises North and South Tarawa, of which South Tarawa is the capital of the island Republic of Kiribati, which consists mainly of the Gilbert Islands. An atoll is defined as a coral island consisting of a reef surrounded by a lagoon. The Gilbert Islands were named for Thomas Gilbert, captain of the British East India Company's East Indiaman vessel, Charlotte. East Indiaman was the general name of any sailing ship operating under charter or license to any of the East India companies of the major European trading powers of the 17th through 19th centuries. The British East India Company held a monopoly granted to it by Queen Elizabeth I of England in 1600 between South Africa's Cape of Good Hope and Tierra del Fuego's Cape Horn at the southern tip of South America until 1834, when the monopoly was lost. Tarawa was surveyed in 1841 by the U.S. Exploring Expedition, an exploring and surveying expedition of the Pacific Ocean and the surrounding lands conducted by the United States between 1838 and 1842. It involved a squadron of four ships and specialists, including naturalists, botanists, a mineralogist, a taxidermist, and a philologist, which is someone who studies written and oral histories. It is sometimes referred to as the USXX or Wilkes Expedition after the commanding officer, Navy Lieutenant Charles Wilkes. The Wilkes Expedition departed from Hampton Roads in Virginia for the first stop in the Madeira Islands off the coast of Africa on August 18, 1838. The route of the expedition went something like this, all over the place. The Peacock, a ship from the expedition under the command of Lieutenant William Hudson surveyed and explored Tarawa and the Gilbert Islands in April of 1841. The Battle of Drummond Island, called Tabitua on this map, took place during that time due to what were called conflicts between the expedition and the Gilbert Islanders. 
From what I am reading about the expedition, this kind of conflict was not an isolated occurrence for the expedition. So there's that aspect to it as well. Tarawa was occupied by the Japanese during World War II and in November of 1943 became the location for the Battle of Tarawa. 76 hours of intense fighting between U.S. Marines and the Japanese forces on the island of Beitio, ending with over 6,000 dead on both sides. This is how Beitio looked after the Battle of Tarawa. I couldn't find pictures of what Beitio looked like before the battle. I did find this picture of what is said to be a Japanese gun still sitting there on top of what looks to be an old rock wall embankment on Beitio. On South Tarawa in Beiriki, where the seat of government for the Republic of Kiribati is located, there are a few things I would like to share with you. The first is the location of the Parliament Building of Kiribati on what looks like a triangular artificial island. Here is a view of the same location from Google Earth, where I see some very interesting things going on here, like the remnants of a canal system. And on the left, the holding ponds next to the existing canal look very much in how they were made like the jetties at Eureka, California in the top middle, Port Mansfield, Texas on the top right, and in the bottom middle, Venice, Florida, and the bottom right, the south inlet of the Grand Lucayan Waterway of the Grand Bahama Island. I am going to end this video here and pick up the alignment on Nuquaro Island in the Caroline Islands of Micronesia. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Ted Clement, Executive Director of Save Mount Diablo. We hope you are all well amidst... Representative Vector, the third and fourth dimension, which he calls a flux field. This field is supposed to be a higher dimensional energy that influences the energy circuit of the other six points. Randy Powell, a student of Marco Rodden, says that this is the secret key to free energy, something we all know Tesla mastered. Let me explain. Let's start from one. Doubled it is two. Two doubled it is four. Four doubled is eight. Eight doubled is sixteen, which means one plus six that equals to seven. Sixteen doubled is thirty-two, resulting in three plus two equals five. You can do seven doubled if you want, to which you would get fourteen, resulting in five. Thirty-two doubled is sixty-four, resulting in total of one. So if we continue, we will keep following the same pattern. One, two, four, eight, seven, five. 1, 2, 4, 8, 7, 5, etc., over and over. As you can see, there is no mention of 3, 6, and 9. It's like they are beyond this pattern, free from it. However, there is something strange once you start doubling them. 3 doubled is 6. 6 doubled is 12, which would result in 3. Add 1 and 2, and you get 3. In this pattern, there is no mention of 9. It's like 9 is beyond, completely free from both patterns. But if you start doubling 9, it will always result in 9. This is called the symbol of enlightenment. If we go to the Great Pyramid of Giza, not only are there three larger pyramids at Giza, all side by side, mirroring the positions of the stars in Orion's belt, but we also see a group of three smaller pyramids, immediately away from the three larger pyramids. We find lots of evidence that nature uses threefold and sixfold symmetry. These shapes are in nature, and the ancients emulated these shapes in the building of their sacred architecture. Is it possible that Tesla uncovered this profound secret and used this knowledge to push the boundaries of science and technology?
The Magnificence of the Number Nine Let's say there are two opposites. Call them white and black if you want to. They are like the north and south poles of a magnet. One side is one, two, and four. The other side is eight, seven, and five. Just like electricity. Everything in the universe is a stream between these two polar sides, like a swinging pendulum. And if you could imagine the movement, it's something like the symbol for infinity. However, these two sides are governed by three and six. Three governs one, two, and four, while six governs eight, seven, and five. And if you look at the pattern closely, it gets even more mind-boggling. One and two equals three. Two and four equals six. Four and eight equals three. Eight and seven equals six. Seven and five equals three. Five and one equals six. And one and two equals three. The same pattern on a higher scale is actually three, six, three, six, three, six. But even these two sides, three and six, are governed by nine, which shows something spectacular. Looking closely at the pattern of three and six, you realize that three and six equals nine. Six and three equals nine. All the numbers together equal nine, both ways, excluding and including three and six. So nine means the unity of the both sides. Nine is the universe itself, the vibration, the energy, and the frequency. Three, six, and nine. If you want to find the secrets of the universe, Think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Nikola Tesla. There is a deeper philosophical truth in this. Just imagine what we could accomplish if we could apply the sacred knowledge in everyday science. The day science begins to study non-physical phenomena. It'll make more progress in one decade than in all the previous centuries of its existence. So what I wanted to introduce you guys to is something that will help you make sense of what's coming uh, this year is the understanding of energy sequestration and uh, non-physical phenomena that exist and um, understanding the ether, the 369 plane, you would say the point zero, the nine, the ether. And so this will help you understand a lot because today we're going to talk about what's going to dominate a lot of our year. And that is um, Operation Popeye. And uh, it's going to be quite fascinating uh, to see it uh, come to fruition. Uh, you know, they're, they're losing the plot on COVID, which I explained to you with math with 421, which happens to be governed <laughs> from the set of, from number three. So now we're going to be moving on to number six, which is the, uh, 578, uh, side. So what you're going to see today is going to be a little bit, um, I guess for those of you that are waking up, it's not that difficult to understand. But those that aren't there yet, it may be. So let's take it in with a crystal ball brawl. Enjoy. Go get your coffee. Thank you. 
diagram for Popeye. I hope that ain't bad news, Wimpy. I'm not one to be nosy, but what does it say? You are the sole heir to your Uncle Abracadabra's estate. Remember, oh rich pal of mine, I am your dearest and poorest friend. I'll go with you to carry your money. I wonder what me eccentrical uncle left me, huh? Look, Olive, it's me magical uncle, Abracadabra. What's he staring at, Popeye? Oh, that's his crystal ball. He can look into that ball and see what's gonna happen tomorrow. <gasps> you mean, look into the future? That's right, Olive. Hmm. What's this? It's too big for a golf ball. Hmm, Bums beat Boston. Win World Series. That's nice. They won the series. Series? But the series is... Swimpy! Wimpy, did you rob the bank or something? Making money is mere child's play. Watch. Oh, Crystal Ball, it's my desire to know what stocks are going higher. Hmm, American Balloon going up. I'll buy a thousand shares. With this Crystal Ball, we can be zillionaires. So, a Crystal Ball, eh? I gotta get in on this racket. Let's see what the stock market is doing next week. I'll carry the ball this time. It's rooted. Stop, you crooked crook. Stop it. I'll try a surprise attack. Give me back the crystal ball. And now, Wimpy, you'll get yours. Don't move, sir. I have you covered. Really, I have. Hello, I'm Simon Whistler. You're watching Top Ten. And now, Brutus, give me the ball. Oh, I will. I will. You know, they were talking... All right, sir. You have a crystal ball. Give it to me now. I'll give it to you. I don't see you. Where are you, Wimpy? Over here, Mooseface. Where is Brutus? This way. You can't miss. Tell me when I'm getting warm. <laughs> Green light. <laughs> Ta -ta, sucker. <laughs> it's finished.
did I did wrong. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to Public Free Movies. As the Vietnam War reached a crossroads, the U.S. Army had important decisions to make if they wanted to tip the scale back to their side. All options were on the table, both conventional and unconventional. And among the most unusual plots was Operation Popeye, launched in an attempt to weaken the Ho Chi Minh Trail, the Viet Cong's most vital mechanism and supply flow tool. To accomplish this, the U.S. would turn the weather into a weapon of war. Operation Popeye utilized cloud seeding technology, a type of weather modification that artificially creates rain or snow. With it, the U.S. military extended at least five monsoon seasons, causing detrimental effects to the unknowing Vietnamese citizens and soldiers. The mission spanned five years and cost taxpayers over $15 million. Despite multiple hearings in Congress, military officers and even President Nixon himself denied it existing at all. The Vietnam War was, for many reasons, unlike any other war American soldiers had ever seen. Instead of a standard campaign frontline, where the American army had more than enough experience, the Vietnam War's battles were fought in the dense South Vietnam jungle. This was an isolated region filled with mountains, animals, and endless greenery. The Viet Cong's most significant advantage over the U.S. in this region was the Ho Chi Minh Trail, a logistics network made up of dirt pads and hand-dug tunnels. It had secret bunkers, barracks, and even a few hospitals. All were cleverly hidden from American aircraft looking for them in reconnaissance missions. With its extensive web of roads and handmade pads, the trail helped the Viet Cong carry massive amounts of manpower, weapons, food, and other war material from one side of the country to the other. At over a thousand miles in length, the trail ran from north to south Vietnam and extended through the kingdoms of Laos and Cambodia. The U.S. military attempted to destroy the trail with never-ending bombing campaigns. More bombs were dropped on Laos than in Germany and Japan combined in World War II. But none of the tactics were entirely effective. Even Agent Orange wasn't up to the task. The trail network was so vast and complex that if one of the paths were closed, all Viet Cong soldiers had to do was find a secondary way back to their base. But there was one thing that significantly slowed the supply flow on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Rain turned the trails into muddy messes, rendering them too difficult to supply vehicles to maneuver. Vietnam is known for having one of the world's longest monsoon seasons, usually running from April to October. June, July, and August are the months with the heaviest rain. And so the Department of Defense decided to attempt to recreate this process. Their goal was to try to control the weather and extend the monsoon season for as long as they could. To achieve this, they resorted to cloud seeding. This process is thought to have originated in 1946 by Vincent Schaefer, a chemist employed by General Electric. Cloud seeding is a method for artificially producing rain or snow. It requires modifying a cloud's chemical structure to boost the chances of precipitation, the added substance of silver iodide which works as a condensation agent. There are two ways to disperse cloud seeding agents, either using large cannons to shoot the particles into the sky, or using airplanes to drop the particles from above. Throughout the planning period, the program went by several names to maintain its secrecy. Operation Popeye ended up being its official name. In a memorandum sent in January 1967, 
from Deputy Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs Foy D. Kohler to then Secretary of State Dean Rusk. Kohler described Project Popeye's goals, stating, quote, The objective is to inhibit overland vehicular movement and to reinforce the bottlenecks already created at stream crossings by the bombing of bridges and ferry installations. With respect to Laos, the objective is to extend rainfall through the dry season, keeping the ground as near the saturation point as possible and obstructing traffic that normally forward streams during the low water period. By generating rain, the American army would slow the Viet Cong's truck traffic, impairing the supply flow throughout the trail and leaving them more susceptible to other attacks. Kohler also believed that cloud seeding was relatively more ethical than common warfare, stating, quote, with respect to North Vietnam, we believe that as an interdiction measure, Popeye operations would be less harmful to the population and the area affected than bombing. For Operation Popeye to be successful, it had to be carried out with the utmost secrecy. If information about America playing God and controlling the weather came out, there might be speculation about man-made alterations in other climatic anomalies they had no connection with. However, American planners were also convinced that their intervention on the weather would inevitably be discovered. According to Deputy Undersecretary Kohler's memo, quote, In the first place, the altered weather will be observable, in contrast to the experimental phase conducted during normally rainy periods. Disclosure of planned weather experiments in India would make it likely that the connection would become apparent. Secondly, the possibility of a U.S. seeding aircraft being downed cannot be discounted. Thirdly, there is virtually no aspect of military operations in Southeast Asia which has not over time become the subject of leaks, or at least of speculation, in the press. Operation Popeye is thought to be the first known successful application of weather control technology in war. The first flight of the operation took off on March 20th, 1967. A total of 2,602 flights were made in five monsoon seasons from March to November. The 54th Weather Reconnaissance Squadron executed the cloud seeding procedure using the slogan, Make Mud, Not War. Within their squadron, the operation was codenamed Motor Pool. Three Lockheed C-130 Hercules aircraft and two McDonnell Douglas F-4 Phantom aircraft based at Udon Thani Royal Thai Air Force Base were altered and fitted with silver iodide ejectors. The five cloud seeding jets had the standard Southeast Asia camouflage colors and markings but no unit identifiers, likely because the operation was top secret. The squadron flew two rainmaking operations per day, while also generating report data, which they presented to their superiors. The flights were officially logged in as standard weather reconnaissance flights. The Viet Cong would not know where the rain was coming from. The initial range of operations for Popeye was the eastern half of the Laotian Panhandle, Four months after the first official flight, the area of intervention was increased towards North Vietnam. In September 1967, the Osha Valley in South Vietnam was also added to the mix. As bomb operations over North Vietnam expanded, that area was eliminated from the list on April 1st, 1968. Likewise, the southern region of North Vietnam became part of the operational site for only a couple of months. In 1972, northeastern Cambodia was added to the operational zone. A total of 47,409 units of cloud seed cartridges were expended. The operation's details were so secret that the soldiers who got selected to participate were usually kept in the dark until the last minute. Everyone had their own theory about what Operation Popeye was really about. Soldier Howard Kibble said, quote, I had fleeting thoughts of flying over China, working for the CIA, you name it. But I signed a statement and found out that I was going to make rain. Geez, I thought they were kidding. Ethical and environmental concerns for Operation Popeye's downfall. 
An article in the Washington Post in 1971 by reporter Jack Anderson revealed that the U.S. was engaged in clandestine weather weaponization in Vietnam. The information was corroborated by the Pentagon Papers leak released by Daniel Ellsberg. The following year, in July of 1972, journalist Seymour Hersh reported in the New York Times about Operation Popeye using the headline, Rainmaking is used as a weapon by the U.S. The article describes how some officials opposed the radical idea and even doubted its effectiveness due to the unknown long-term consequences, stating, quote, Despite years of experiments with rainmaking in the U.S. and elsewhere, scientists are not sure they understand its long-term effect on the ecology of a region. A few days after the story's publication, the entire program was officially ended, and all cloud-seeding missions stopped. Silver iodide, a material used in cloud-seeding condensation, is known to be toxic to aquatic life. So when used in the long term, precipitation from seeded clouds could harm the environment. The news caught the eye of Democratic Senator Claiborne Pell, who demanded to have the specifications of Operation Popeye officially declassified and released to the public. As one of the leaders of the operation, Lieutenant Harry Edward Soyster was asked to testify in front of the Committee on Foreign Relations. He told them everything he knew. The cost of Operation Popeye was about $3.6 million per year, which included the operation and maintenance of the modified jets, purchase of seating materials, and pay for the people involved in the project. The timing of all these public announcements did not work out well for the Department of Defense. In 1972, the environmental boom in America was burgeoning. In addition, the Nixon administration was already struggling with the beginning stages of the infamous Watergate scandal. When the public, especially environmental activists, found out that America had secretly been playing God and altering the weather in Vietnam, they were outraged. The operations were dubbed the Watergate of weather warfare. Operation Popeye was officially terminated on July 5th, 1972. In 1977, the U.S. joined the Environmental Modification Convention Treaty, or ENMOD, an international treaty which formally banned weather modification for malicious purposes. The agreement banned causing earthquakes and tsunamis, steering hurricanes, or tampering with the ionosphere. It also prohibited any kind of severe damage to the environment. Since cloud seeding has never been used in warfare again, the results cannot be measured or compared. Author James Roger Fleming agreed, stating, quote, Although some claim that Operation Popeye induced from one to seven inches of additional rainfall annually along the Ho Chi Minh Trail, no scientific data were collected to verify the claim. Even if Operation Popeye did help a few U.S. victories in Vietnam, a fact that is impossible to determine, its extreme secrecy and denials by the military and the government resulted in a significant strategic defeat for climatic modification with military purposes. Aren't you guys glad that they signed a treaty saying we will not cause earthquakes, tsunamis, or heavy rainfall or flood you because it would be wrong? So they have these treaties. <laughs> That's, they won't do it. Mm.
They won't do it for malicious reasons against other nations. They won't do it. Really? What do you guys think? Because they're doing it, but you know, it's, it's nothing. It's completely nothing. Let's go to Texas when it was drought stricken about 10 years ago and what they did in Texas to make it rain. Take a listen. It's great. It's the worst drought America has seen in decades, and it's showing no signs of letting up. Over half the country has been affected, with the brunt bearing down on the mid and southwest, especially Nebraska, Kansas, the Dakotas, and parts of the south. Just look at that. Well, in one hard-hit area of Texas, some people have grown tired of waiting for Mother Nature to bring relief and have decided to try and take matters into their own hands. Here's ABC's Juju Chang. Craig Funky is flying me to the edge of a violent thunderstorm. You see how nice and crisp the top of that cloud is up there? Yeah. But the former commercial pilot isn't some adrenaline junkie courting danger. He's a cloud seeder chasing this menacing storm to squeeze out extra rain for the drought-stricken farmland below. As a pilot going through school, you're taught to avoid thunderstorms. This is Craig's job, firing chemicals into the clouds in a controversial attempt to modify the weather. He's literally a rainmaker. That dark, thick cloud over there has lots of moisture in it. That's part of the cloud that was seeded. It actually looks heavy with rain. Cloud seeding has been used around the world for decades. But it's now getting a closer look as farmers desperate for solutions endure their fourth month of record-shattering drought with no end in sight. It's actually the largest drought in half a century, responsible for rising food prices and record wildfires. It's even suspected to be a cause for the recent surge in cases of West Nile virus. So we came to South Texas to find out if cloud seeding can really maximize our most precious resource, or if it's just a romantic notion that doesn't hold water. We can't manufacture cloud. That is just absolute basic. We, we cannot make it rain if it was not going to rain to begin with. Tommy Shearer is president of the Texas Weather Modification Association. He's quick to explain that he can only enhance the weather, not create it. If you look at the cloud as a factory, we're inducing a lot of raw material into the factory so that the factory becomes more efficient. And more productive. Consequently more productive. His team of pilots and meteorologists are constantly scanning the skies for the right clouds to see. Where everybody's going to get some good rain. After 10 bone-dry days, a promising cluster of thunderstorms is finally headed their way. Butch is today's standby pilot. He takes the first run. Up in the air, we get a bird's eye view of Butch's delicate dance. He's just working the very edge of it. And then Butch finds the cloud sweet spot. Okay, he's fixing a light of flare. Okay. Oh, I see the yeah. flare. Yeah. It looks like he's uh, painting the sky. The flares are shooting millions of silver iodide and calcium chloride particles into the cloud, where they collide with drops of water and ice and produce even more moisture. Then, usually within 20 minutes... So what is this white, smoky stuff over here? That's rain. Oh, that's rain? Yeah, that's rain. <laughs> All of this rain out here. During 7 on November, turn left When you go out, you stay for a few hours or all day long and really know you did some good. It's a good feeling. The radar data collected today adds to a growing body of evidence that cloud seeding works. It can double the amount of moisture in a given cloud, and the Texas programs boast a 12% increase in annual rainfall. 
thanks to seeding. And long-term studies show those chemicals are environmentally safe and can't even be detected in the rainfall. But despite all the data, some of cloud seeding's biggest critics are surprisingly the very farmers who stand to benefit most. This isn't the first drought we've been through and it won't be the last. Bill Slumchinsky's family has been farming this land for five generations. He and his son Brett tell us it's expensive to irrigate 300 acres of crops. All that watering cuts deeply into profits, but they are skeptical that anything short of divine intervention can actually make more rain. What do you make of the cloud seeding program? Well, when you've been in a drought since 96 and we've had one wet year, is it working? We can't stop droughts. We can't break droughts. Uh, we just try and put a little more water on the ground. And every drop of water, Craig explains, helps feed the underground aquifer used to irrigate crops. Talking about climate change yesterday, and now we're learning that scientists and researchers are looking at how to change the weather on purpose. That's right. Lasers now could one day manipulate rain and lightning. CBS This Morning contributor Michio Kaku is a physics professor at City College of New York. Professor, nice to see you. Extraordinary seeing Al Gore and Bill Clinton there together with Charlie, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. They did not get into this discussion, no. though. <laughs> but it is fascinating. I mean, lasers, really, to change the weather? That's right. Well, as Mark Twain once famously said, everyone complains about the weather, but no one ever does anything about it. Well, instead of doing a rain dance, we physicists are firing trillion watt lasers into the sky to actually precipitate rain clouds and actually bring down lightning bolts. This is potentially a game changer. But this is experimental. It's experimental. However, in the laboratory so far, it works. When you have water vapor and you have dust particles or ice crystals, you can precipitate rain. It condenses around the seeds. These seeds can also be created by laser beams. By firing trillion watt lasers, you rip apart the electrons, creating what are called ions. And these ions act like seeds, like dust particles, bringing down rain and even lightning. Go ahead. Well, I, I, this is fascinates me in part because, too, I remember reading the stories that China had used this during the Olympics, that the USSR had used this after Chernobyl to create rain clouds. I mean, w did those really work then? We have some of these capabilities now? Inconclusive. Even in the 60s, the CIA used this to uh, bring down monsoons during the Vietnam War to wash out the Viet Cong. Governments have been playing with, with this to. thing. Alleged to. Alleged to, right. Yeah. Now, we realize that for decades now, these governments have been alleged to have experimented with weather control. But did you hear her? She was like, don't say that we did it in Vietnam. Just say alleged to. We already know about Operation Popeye. Like, why would she hide it? This is a 2013 report. OK, this is from eight years ago. OK, eight years ago, they were talking about, oh, we're so excited. It works perfectly in the lab and we're going to do this eight years ago. And then they're referring to China doing this and Chernobyl so Russia can make it rain for, you know, all that crap from the explosion to go down, blah, blah, blah. We already saw the report a few months ago how Saudi Arabia made it rain and how China did it for the Olympics and all this laser technology, lasers, lasers, lasers. But nothing conclusive. This time we're bigging in the laws of physics rather than simply uh, waving our hands and uttering mumbo jumbo. We're actually using trillion watt lasers now. And in the laboratory, sure enough, they precipitate rain out of water vapor. Sure enough, you can actually bring down electricity yeah. down, the, down the beam. So what does it mean for drought areas that, that need to have 
rain for crops. And if they don't have him, uh, there's in the consequences of famine. Well, the bad news is if it's a clear blue sky, it's not going to do anything at all because it only takes water vapor that's already in the air and condenses it. However, for floods, for agriculture, for farmers, for people planning wedding parties, uh, football <laughs> games, you name it, outdoor events and agriculture and flooding and even hurricanes, all of them could be subject. Right. If you're going to throw an event like a parade, you don't want it to rain on your parade. We've got lasers. If you don't have enough water, we'll just make it rain. But you're not allowed to collect it because you're supposed to pay for the water. OK, stop. And also, just so you know, if you're going to have like this big football game, like Super Bowl season, right, you don't need snow and rain. That's petty shit. That's old school stuff. Listen to that those phrases carefully commercialize weather manipulation this is 2013 hurricanes all of them could be subject to weather modification incredibly interesting professor michio kaku thank you culture and football games you name it outdoor events and agriculture and flooding and even hurricanes all of them could be subject to weather modification Incredibly interesting. Professor Michio Kaku, thank right. you so much. Right. So this goes back to using weapons of war as commercial products so you can use them on the country that you apparently run. I mean, why not? Why not, right? You just commercialize that shit. Don't call it Operation Popeye. Call it Operation We Need a Football Game or a Parade. And suddenly you've got a weapon of war faced at the people. See, you're not allowed to cause earthquakes, okay? We all made a deal. No earthquakes. But if we all agree to an earthquake, then we can have an earthquake, okay? We all have to agree because we have an agreement, okay? We have an agreement. So we must all agree. So see how that works? When we started Operation Rains, it was to keep the reins on other governments, make sure they don't elect leaders America doesn't want. Then instantly, repurposed as Sequoia, Diabold, ESNS, Dominion, you name it. And it's being used against the people. Oh, look, we're going to create, you know, scorecard and hammer. By the way, just so you guys know, there's not one hammer. There's like a billion of them. Okay. They're not even called hammer anymore. That's so archaic. So anybody pushing that shit, doesn't know what they're talking about. So we're going to make that great. Let's commercialize it to specified for email, specified for text, specified for this, specified for that. And let's package it up and sell it. And then, you know, we're not using a weapon of war. It's, it's a product. Uh, we're going to use, you know, uh, uh, inter internet, inter interactive internet activities, IIA operations. So we could take care of our enemies. We're going to create the shadow net. We're going to deploy that shit. We're going to mind fuck everyone on the internet. And here we go. And then what we're going to do is we're going to repackage that as an employment HR tool. So you could just look at all that data and see if you want to hire some, you know, we'll also market it as a magic wheel. So they don't have to go through, you know, sending all these paper letters to people to join the jury. We'll just pick the one that the prosecutor wants. Okay. We'll just do it like that. But there's a weapon of war. No, it's not. It's not called shadow net. Look, it's called the magic wheel. Stop. Get your facts straight.
You see, you see how that works. But here's the type of weather modification of people who actually try to control it. With the advent of flying over the past century, fog began to be a serious problem for aircraft trying to take off or land safely. And in World War II, pilots no longer had the luxury to sit around and wait for the fog to lift on its own before taking off. That's why in 1942, the Prime Minister of Britain, Winston Churchill, ordered the Petroleum Warfare Department come up with an idea to solve this problem. The result was FIDO, or Fog Investigation and Dispersal Operations. By burning petrol around the airfield at a rate of 100,000 gallons per hour, engineers were able to produce enough heat as to temporarily lift the fog, thus allowing the pilots to safely take off or land at a moment's notice. According to the British RAF, the Royal Air Force, 15 airfields were fitted with this capability in England as well as a few others in the US and the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. Between 1943 and 1945, some 2,500 aircraft landed safely in otherwise dangerous conditions, thus ensuring the survival of over 100,000 soldiers. In 1959, the last FIDO installation at RAF Manston was dismantled. Even today, fog dispersal is done regularly at many airports around the world, but the technology has improved a bit since World War II. If temperatures are below freezing, CO2 or propane gas is released from the ground in order to lift the fog. If temperatures are higher, however, airports make use of helicopters or even burners to help with the problem. Number 9. Hail Cannons In existence since the late 1890s, hail cannons came about after an Austrian wine grower named M. Albert Steger conducted some experiments in his backyard. The result was an oversized, megaphone-shaped cannon that fired rings of smoke about 985 feet into the air. It was made out of a sheet of metal mounted on a wooden frame. The concept was that a strong whirlwind of air and smoke blasted into the sky by one such cannon will disrupt the normal formation of hail in the overhead clouds. Hail was, and still is, a major issue and a serious threat to all crops, making the hail cannon a true scientific blessing for farmers. After a few seemingly successful tries, the number of hail cannons in the Italian province near Venice alone has skyrocketed from 466 to 1,630 in less than one year. But as these cannons become more and more common throughout other parts of Europe, reports of inconsistencies began to surface. These were initially disregarded on the grounds of improper firing, shooting delays, or poor positioning. Then, in 1903, the Italian government arranged a two-year-long experiment involving 222 cannons. The regions involved in the experiment still experienced hail, the cannons were deemed a failure, and the whole concept was soon abandoned. Perhaps surprisingly, these cannons are still in use today. One company that makes them says their cannons work by creating a shockwave traveling at the speed of sound, disrupting the creation of hail and turning it into slush or rain. When a storm is close by, it begins firing every four seconds, tracking the storm via radar. In 2005, a car manufacturer in the U.S. deployed such cannons, disturbing an entire community with its incredibly loud noise. At some point, even the guys at Mythbusters considered testing these hail cannons, but after some deliberation, they agreed against it, saying that the methodology makes the machine completely untestable. Number 8. Cloud Seeding Besides hail, one other meteorological element that can considerably shrink any crop yield is drought. In 1946, a meteorologist by the name of Vincent Schaefer, together with a Nobel Prize laureate, Irving Longmere, discovered cloud seeding. This is a form of weather modification which supposedly increases the amount of rainfall. Rain is created when supercooled droplets of water come together and form ice crystals in a process known as nucleation. No longer able to stay suspended in the air, these ice crystals start falling to the ground and in the process begin to melt and turn back into raindrops. The logic behind cloud seeding is that some particles like silver iodine or dry ice can kickstart this process and enhance the raining capabilities in clouds. These particles can either be delivered by plane or sprayed from the ground up. 
But like the hail cannons mentioned above, it is particularly difficult to prove their effectiveness. Even to this day, there is no sure way of knowing if any given cloud will actually produce rain or not. Nevertheless, cloud seeding has been reported as being a success in initial trials in countries like Australia, France, Spain, the US, the UAE, and China. However, cloud seeding expert Adrian Huggins, a research scientist at the Desert Research Institute in Reno, Nevada, said in an interview that nobody can attribute any storms solely to cloud seeding. In fact, the process works best not in periods of drought, but when there are normal or above normal periods of precipitation. At best, cloud seeding should increase the amount of rain or snow by up to 10%, and this excess water can be stored for later use. Number 7. Project Cirrus as early as 1946, the U.S. Armed Forces began testing cloud seeding, trying to discover its true potential and what other uses it might have to benefit the country. They made a total of 37 test flights in the first year and a half, flying over thunderstorms, line squalls, and even tornadoes. One big threat, as many of us know, are the annual tropical hurricanes coming in from the Atlantic Ocean. So in 1947, Project Cirrus expanded to test cloud seeding on a hurricane traveling eastbound 350 miles off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. They dropped 80 pounds of dry ice into the raging storm, only to realize that the hurricane suddenly changed direction and began traveling back towards the United States. Savannah, Georgia, was hit by record-breaking winds of up to 85 miles per hour, more than 1,500 people were left homeless, and at least two people died. Total damage was reported in the millions of dollars, and the project and its participants were blamed for what happened. Project Cirrus then relocated to New Mexico, and the research continued. However, not long after their arrival to the area, local tourist attractions began blaming the team for the unusually wet weather they had been experiencing soon after. Despite the seemingly positive results by 1952, the project ran out of funding and was cancelled soon after. Number 6. Project Storm Fury Not wanting the research made in the previous decade to go to waste, another ambitious experimental program was launched in 1962 in order to see if it's possible to use cloud seeding to lessen a hurricane's destructive potential. Scientists were wishing to decrease the wind speeds of any hurricane by making use of silver iodine. Rocket canisters filled with the stuff were dropped into the storm's eye from an airplane flying overhead, as well as making use of gun-like devices mounted on the wings spraying silver iodine over the storm. The hope was that these particles would counterbalance the normal convection within the eye of the storm, thus giving it a larger radius and in turn reducing the overall wind speeds generated. The tests were carried out in four hurricanes over a period of eight days. Half the time, the wind speeds decreased by 10 to 30 percent, while the other half experienced no change. The lack of any response to these tests was initially attributed to mostly faulty execution and deployment. However, studies have later indicated that hurricanes don't contain nearly as much supercooled water for cloud seeding to be effective. Moreover, researchers discovered that some such storms can undergo similar processes naturally, just like seeded hurricanes would. It was then concluded that the initial successful tries were actually naturally occurring events, backed only by the very little knowledge and the behavior of hurricanes at the time. The last test flight took place in 1971, and by 1983, Project Storm Fury was officially canceled. These experiments weren't without merit, however, since they helped meteorologists better understand and forecast the movements and intensities of future hurricanes. Number 5. Project Skyfire at every moment of the day, there are around 1,800 thunderstorms in progress all over the globe. And every 20 minutes, these storms produce somewhere around 60,000 lightning strikes. Unsurprisingly, some of these lightning strikes start fires. 
Every summer, 9,000 forest or grassland fires in the U.S. are started this way, causing extensive loss of timber, wildlife, watersheds, and recreation areas. Project Skyfire was initiated in 1955 by the U.S. Forest Service in the hope of better understanding the natural processes that initiate thunderstorms and maybe decrease the frequency of lightning as much as possible. For the first several years of the project, scientists gathered information and began using silver iodine in high concentrations in the hopes of overseeding clouds and thus reducing the number of lightning strikes. Their results are hard to quantify due to the lack of any controlled experiments, but it would seem that initial tests were somewhat successful. In any case, in 1960 and 1961, the U.S. Army, under the name Project Skyfire, attempted lightning suppression by using millions of tiny metallic pins in order to seed the clouds, instead of either dry ice or silver iodine. These were actually small pieces of foil oppositely charged at each end. The material is used today as a form of countermeasure for aircraft trying to evade enemy missiles or radar. Number 4. Operation Popeye in the Vietnam War With the previous projects above, it's no wonder that cloud seeding was intended for military purposes at some point or another. Operation Popeye, or Operation Compatriot, was a top-secret military campaign waged in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War. The goal of the operation was to flood the routes between North and South Vietnam during the monsoon season with as much rain as possible in order to make roads inaccessible. The Ho Chi Minh Trail was especially targeted due to its logistical importance for the Viet Cong. The whole operation lasted from 1966 up until 1972 and consisted of over 2,600 flights over the regions of Cambodia, Laos, South Vietnam, and the previously mentioned trail. In total, some 4,700 units of cloud seeding material were dropped during this time at a cost of over $21.6 million. If it actually worked or not is still a matter of debate, but it is believed that they were able to extend the monsoon season by 30 to 45 days. Also part of the operation were regular flights over dense jungles, spraying them with various herbicides in order to provide lemmies. Operation Popeye reached the public consciousness when a columnist by the name of Jack Anderson revealed it in the Washington Post in March 1971. The U.S. Defense Secretary Melvin Laird testified under oath in 1972 in front of the U.S. Senate that they never actually used any weather modification techniques in Southeast Asia. Only two years later, one of Laird's private letters was leaked where he admitted that he did lie in front of the Senate. This inevitably led to the Convention on the Prohibition of Military or Any Other Hostile Use of Environmental Modification Technologies, or NMOD, to be signed in 1976 by members of the UN. Number 3. Black Rain in Belarus In April of 1986, one of the biggest man-made disasters took place in the former Soviet Union, present-day Ukraine. Due to a faulty reactor design and inadequately trained personnel, one of the reactors at Chernobyl nuclear power plant exploded, killing many and resulting in the complete evacuation of the nearby town of Pripyat. However, this was just the beginning, and the worst of the disaster was still to come. The radioactive cloud that ensued was threatening many large cities in the Soviet Union. In order to prevent such a catastrophe, the Soviet government quickly dispatched aircraft to fly over the radioactive cloud and spray it with cloud-seeding material in an area of about 60 miles surrounding Chernobyl. In the wake of the explosion, people in present-day South Belarus reported heavy black-colored rain falling in and around the town of Gomel. And just before the hellish rain began, several aircraft had been spotted circling the city and surrounding area, ejecting some colored material. Moscow has never admitted to using cloud seeding in the aftermath of the Chernobyl disaster, but two Soviet pilots later admitted it. Alan Flowers, a British scientist and the first Westerner to examine the extent of the levels of radioactivity and fallout around Chernobyl, discovered that the Belorussians were exposed to levels 20 to 30 times higher than normal as a result of the nuclear rain, causing intense radiation poisoning in children. In 2004, he was expelled from the country for claiming that the Soviet Union used cloud seeding in 1986. He said, 
the local population says there was no warning before these heavy rains and the radioactive fallout arrived. Number two, the Beijing Weather Modification Office. Today, 52 countries are involved in weather modification in one form or another, either to enhance precipitation or to suppress hail. But none are more involved in the process than the Chinese. The Weather Modification Office came into being sometime in the 1980s and has since grown to around 37,000 people strong, the largest in the world. These people operate throughout the entire country, but mostly in its northern and northeastern regions, which are most predisposed to droughts. They also try to counteract hail or severe sandstorms. The Weather Office makes use of 4,000 rocket launchers, 7,000 anti-aircraft guns, and about 30 airplanes to achieve its goals. But besides working on increasing the amount of precipitation or suppressing the fall of hail, the Bureau also makes sure that national holidays or special events get the weather they deserve. In 1997, the technology was used on New Year's Day to make it snow. Another of its high-profile operations was during the 2008 Summer Olympics held in Beijing. During the opening ceremony, some 1,100 rockets were fired into the clouds outside the city, ensuring a precipitation-free evening by making it rain away from the event. Prior to every October 1st, China's National Day, the government uses cloud seeding over Beijing in order to make it rain, dissipating pollution and clearing the skies. Another future prospect for Beijing Weather Modification Office is to lower summer temperatures, thus lowering the annual consumption of electricity. Number 1. Desert Rain The weather is created and influenced by our own planet's rotation, the sun rays, and the moisture coming in from the oceans. The most we can do when compared to these natural forces is minimal at best, and things should probably remain like that. But anyway, as the world's population has increased in numbers never before seen, humans have moved in larger numbers to regions less hospitable for comfort. We aren't, of course, talking about the desert. Over the past several decades, more and more people have begun inhabiting places like the United Arab Emirates in the Arabian Peninsula, one of the driest places on Earth. And it's no surprise that people living there would want a rainfall every now and again. Thus, a Swiss company took advantage of the situation and began building 33-foot-high towers that produce negatively charged ions. These supposedly generate the formation of storm clouds. The theory of ionization has been around since 1980, being first mentioned by Nikola Tesla. However, there was no evidence of it actually producing any rain in the various experiments conducted since. Moreover, the Swiss company is unwilling to share any proof or information regarding its technology and how it actually works, keeping it a closely guarded secret. There so, were a few so rainstorms since the installation you. was put... So let me show it to you. I know a lot of people have seen this. I've seen pictures go around. And a lot of people have said, oh my gosh, um, this is, you know, 5G towers everywhere. Eh, eh, wrong. You should see exactly what it is. You see those? That's cloud seeding. That's weather mod. In Santa Barbara County, home to one of the longest running cloud seeding operations in the country. We've got some ground-based cloud seeding equipment right here, and we're going to get to hear all about how it works and see it in action. Let's check it out. Cloud seeding is the most common type of weather modification, and it has many different techniques and applications. Today, it's mostly used to increase rain and snowfall, reduce the size of hail, and reduce fog at airports. Traditionally, cloud seeding has been done from the air. So air airplanes have had racks on them where these same flares are positioned on the airplane and the airplane flies into the storm. So in order to reduce the cost of the client and reduce our carbon footprint, uh, we've been able to station these on the ground. Now we can do this in places where weather permits. Behind a barbed wire fence designed to keep away curious cattle, 
the cloud seeding gear awaits the right kind of weather. So these are referred to as AHOGs. That stands for Automated High Output Ground Seeding Systems. We've got three primary components of our equipment here. Uh, the first is the control model. Now for all the smart people, oh my God, that's way shorter than cell towers. No shit, this is an example. They're putting it on the cell towers, okay? This is an example. It's not where it's supposed to be. This is where they're demoing it for you. So just now you know what those things are. Module that you see behind me. And we have our actual cloud seeding flares. The cameras for security, it also helps us observe weather conditions in real time and make sure that all of the equipment is operating correctly during a storm. Inside these canisters uh, are the flares with the seeding agents. The canisters are used as, as spark arresters, so they prevent sparks from reaching the ground. So if we pull off the spark arrestor, you can see the flare inside. The ignition of the flares are controlled from the control module that's behind us. So the white triangle there is a cell service modem, and then the solar panel keeps us powered. Inside we have a battery and then a control board. So the control board interacts with the software. We're linked or synced with the software in Utah currently, and that allows us to fire or ignite any of the flares from that remote location. Because of the lack of clouds and proper wind conditions, today is not a good day for cloud seeding at all. But Garrett and his team are going to light a flare for us anyway, so we can show you how it works. There's just one small problem. The battery in the control module died shortly before we arrived, but it's nothing a little jumpstart can't fix. After a little juice from Garrett's truck, it's time to set off the flare. The primary seeding agent in this is silver iodide. Silver iodide is a simple compound. It's polar in nature like water. So there's chemical properties that help attract water molecules to silver iodide. It's also structured molecularly similar to ice. So it helps generate or helps spawn the generation of ice buildup. And then that becomes a hellstone or a snowflake that falls here primarily as rain. So one flare like this has billions and billions of potential sites for that water to congregate around. We'll launch them in sequences. We watch the radar to see when bands of the highest concentration of liquid water are passing above us in the clouds. And we try to target those high concentration pockets in the storm systems. Uh, we'll launch between three and 20 flares for a typical storm. Once the flare is lit, it takes a little bit of time to carry up into the clouds. And once it's up at, at the proper elevation, it'll take about 20 minutes to instigate the rain or the snow process. Uh, so overall, you're probably looking at about 40 to 45 minutes before you're seeing the maximum result. And that's why we're stationed miles away from our target area. So we have very specific targets that, that drain directly into major water basins. And we time these events to correlate with rain above those intended targets. One of the biggest questions or most common questions that we receive uh, relates to the safety of silver iodide. Silver is biologically inert, so it will not interact in a negative fashion with plant or animal life. Iodine is actually a critical building block of a number of hormones in animals, so it is safe as well. In fact, if you look at table salt or baby formula, you'll see iodine in its molecular form as an additive in those commonly consumed substances. But what about other potential adverse effects? Could cloud seeding affect communities outside the targeted areas? Sometimes there is a concern about robbing Peter to pay Paul. So are we benefiting California at the expense of Nevada? And the truth is, is that storm systems, when they move over off the coastline, only about 10% of that moisture is gonna fall in the form of precip. 
And we're looking at increasing that to about 11% because we have about a 10% increase in the natural storms productivity. So going from 10% to 11% in California has an insignificant impact on the amount of precip that will still be available in Nevada or Utah. Built into the program are kind of checks to make sure that we don't come across anything negative. When there are high intensity storms, we won't seed. If the reservoirs are full, we won't seed. If the rivers are flowing a lot, maybe near flood capacity, we won't seed. We hope that the conditions that exist right now uh, will turn around and that we will not face the severity of droughts that we're facing particularly this year. But a number of scientific articles are suggesting otherwise. And as we look into the future, we need to again consider conservation first. Um, so the ability for us is to conserve how we use water and the ways that we store the water. And then layer on that efforts like weather modification and cloud seeding to help increase the rainfall that we do receive. It's very important that we take advantage of every opportunity we have uh, to generate water in a sustainable way. Anybody who's interested in learning more about cloud seeding, I've got links to scientific studies and official reports down in the description. Thank you so much for watching. Hope you enjoyed this video. Please like and subscribe for more. So in 2022, aside from recompense, right? Because everything that was hidden will be revealed. Even airplanes, even dead people, even missing people, even suicided people, even dog experiments. Like I told you, FEMA's going to take down Fauci. If you've done good, that will be amplified. If you've done evil, it's time to pay the piper. Huh. But they're not going to go down without a fight. Climate change. Their biggest weapon. And they've put them all over because a lot of people have shared pictures of their 5G towers that literally have seating, seating stalls. And I'm like, okay, it's not time to say it. It's not time to say it. Because then, you know, when you say it at a time that's wrong, people aren't mature enough to understand. Like I said, it feels like it's October and suddenly it's going to be winter. Got myself a 50-pound bag of rice. I mean, I do have two growing puppies. I think I'm going to get myself another one, too. See, it's so weird. It is just so bizarre how they try to flip things. You're a conspiracy theorist, chemtrails. Shut up. Um, Wait a minute. You guys were weather modifying from the 1800s. Churchill weather modified. You use that shit in Vietnam. Oh, wait, what did the reporter say? Allegedly, right? Allegedly. They used it in the USSR before, <laughs> right? They used it in China. They're using it in front of us. Hey, look, Saudi Arabia made it rain. You know, it's really important to be able to do this because they have droughts. So we should be able to do this. Oh, don't worry. Iodine is found everywhere, like for hormones and shit. No wonder everyone is so soy. What are they putting in the water? Right. What are they putting in the water? See, <laughs> don't go buying anybody any Malaysian airline tickets. <laughs> I gave, uh, I gave one uh, mock ticket to a friend of mine for Christmas once. <laughs> oh, and the joke was, "Dang, <laughs> I'm not your friend." <laughs> So as 2021 draws to a close, it went pretty quick, didn't it? 
They went actually really quick. And it was perfect. Because those that could not see at all are starting to see a little bit of light. They're starting to say, well, you know, it doesn't smell right. I mean, even the people that got vaccinated are like, wait a minute. So I got vaccinated and it's not working. I need extra boosters. Oh, and I could still get it and I still have to wear a mask. I can't go back to normal. I just want to get my pumpkin spice latte and do my thing. Right? Right? 2022 is not going to be easy. But... It'll be wins, right? Don't take that as something. I hurt when I see evil people go down too because they didn't come to this earth to be evil, right? It's really going to hurt. When someone is swimming and they're drowning, they take a lot of people with them. They will claw at you. That's one thing you learn when you learn to rescue someone from drowning. You pretty much hold them in a chokehold because they will take you down. So when you see a lot of people go down, a lot of people struggling with choices that they made, struggling with choices that they made because they believe that someone is going to save them like the government or something, right? That's the problem. That is the problem. That's the pain because they're not going to go in, 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 with, with, in a, with a whimper in the night. They will take down as many people as they can, as hard as they can. I mean, Betty White died. Everyone's like, you know, she was funny. She had great comedic timing. But you, you do know she was part of the OSS. And then uh, she was also an asset. And, um, uh, you know. I don't, I, I don't think that she was extremely evil, but, um, as a centennial, right. Uh, in this, um, in this, in that climate, it's a little bit weird. And so, uh, may her soul be saved. Oh, shut out. Um, cause you turn a blind eye, you turned a blind eye and it's just as bad. So, um, you know, what I saw was that people were complaining that somebody else didn't die. That is 20 years her junior and then some. They were asking for someone else to die. Oh, why did God take her and not him? It's like, what a disgusting person you have to be to say something like that. You know, I, 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 I uh, when I saw that she died, I, I, wanted to remember her for the joy that she brought to people and her comedic timing, which was impeccable, impeccable comedic timing. Like I kid you not, it's very hard to find people that have comedic timing. Like I, I'm going to say this almost like I say this every, every time I get the comedic timing my kid had on saying, you know, what she said when we were asked for our papers, someone was like, show me your papers. Phoebe goes, Oh my God, communism, my favorite. I was just like, that was perfect timing. Like the timing, the tone, the reaction, you know, because the other person couldn't stop. Comedic timing is, is a quality like, wow. Um, that's something she had, comedic timing. But by no means was she, you know, um, no one is a saint, Okay, we're not gonna. She was an actress, you guys. 
You all know what goes on in fucking Hollywood. You think she didn't see any of that shit? Come on, stop. Let's just stop. You don't know her. You didn't break bread with her, okay? But the talent she had in comedic timing is, you know, what was interesting. And being a woman in that day and age and, you know, going off to the World War, they say she drove trucks. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, she served. She she actually served. And so she had cojones. So we all commit sins. We're all not perfect. We're imperfectly perfect. But I I hope that um well, I mean she's stuck. So that's it. You know, stuck. Stuck. But in 2022, while all of us are looking at, you know, new variants, I mean, they're down to row now. Then there's Sigma. They're going to skip over that. They don't like that. They'll probably go to Tau, right? Tau is cool. Tau sounds good, right? Because now we're at the row, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it was that was quick. Omicron, row. It's Sigma, Tau, Ypsilon, Phi, He, and Omega. <laughs> I mean, we're almost there. They're going to have to find a new alphabet now. Maybe it'll be 2.0, 2.01, like fucking firmware updates. That That's not funny because they are. But, um, uh, yeah, they're going to, I think they're going to skip over Sigma and go straight to Tau because that sounds terrifying. Tau. The Tau variant. I can, I can already see it now. Like if I was the script writer for the letters, I'd be like, yep, yeah, yeah, nope, we're not going to do Sigma. Sounds like stigma. Too charged. Let's just go to Tau, Tau, Tau. The Tau variant. So, um, so what comes after Omega? I mean, I guess that's, they're going to time it perfectly for the death that's sweeping in. You know, when we, when we look at our environment that we live in, our house, our city, our state, our nation, what you perceive to be your planet, it's a biodome. It all works together. It beats like one heart. And they're messing with it. And then they're crying about it. Right? And they're going to use that against us. I mean, they tried to use it on Mar-a-Lago, remember? And then the, the, the hurricane did a right turn. Remember that? When it was coming into Mar-a-Lago and then suddenly made a 90-degree turn? Yep, totally natural. So climate is going to be used because that's their big thing, right? Big thing. And I'm I'm praying that um, most people can sustain where they will have these famine, damn, huh. the famine, the, the water shortages, you know, um, maybe this is why they stalled the NABF, right? Remember that I said that to the, the NABF. All we need is a tornado to go through there, and we've got a new pestilence out everywhere. So, um, 
you know, famine is everywhere well, around the world right now. And these occurrences are not happenstance. They're all done by men. If there were higher courts in, in, in heaven, right, what you perceive to be heaven, Satan has domain here because you're doing it, not you specifically. So, um, you know, when acts of God, as they claim, which are really acts of man that happen, and that, and that also sucks because then the insurance company won't pay you when it's determined that the government actually did this, right? But weather warfare is no joke. You know, could you imagine tagging a nation with just an earthquake? You can cause utter chaos. Could you imagine throwing a bunch of tornadoes just to fuck with people? You better sign that bill. I'm going to send a tornado down your state. You better sign this. I'm going to set them all on fire. Well, I put water next door, frozen water. Temperature is going to drop from 80 degrees to 30. Watch me do it. But see, it's only a matter of that one point where he hears us, genuinely hears us. If we only need 1%, 1% to cut above the noise, to cut right through that firmament and be heard. One percent. Or you could be like, just just help. Because President Trump said it best. Only God can help. So when you guys start seeing things unfold, right? Because last year in February, I told you about Fauci's puppies. I guess we're going to see those come out now, you know, in 2022, where there's going to be problems. You know, Malaysian Airlines, I mean, the plane disappeared on my birthday in 2014. It was pretty weird. Pretty weird. Um, I just I just thought to myself, wait a minute, what? Are we going to find out what happened with Epstein's jet? In those rolling hills of middle America where it teleported. You should look that episode up. It's quite fascinating. Everything is going to come out. Everything. And while they're trying to come up with cover stories, because you see them coming out every day, revisiting old tragedies, just to find explanations that aren't really explanations, but telling you that they're trying to find an explanation. When they come out, people will be held accountable for these things. In the meantime, it's picture the planet as you can picture it. What you perceive as a planet like a game of risk, right? Like a game board. And you can see their pieces being moved. Find your still because you and your families are safe, right? Do not have fear because that is what they prey on because 2022 is not going to be easy. There's going to be sudden destruction and the only thing that can help you right now is God.
And see, at the beginning of the show, I showed you that video where they had these communications. And there was a reason for that. They didn't have the computer connected to internet. It didn't have a modem. And these conversations were happening. Someone was like, maybe someone's hacking. Other people were like, ooh, it was a ghost in the machine. Stop. There's no ghost in the machine. Oops. There's no ghosts in the machine, right? Energy and communication between devices can happen when they're energetically linked, when they're directly linked from a footprint. It's like a, an alloy footprint, I would say. Super highway of information and communication that you can find with terminal IDs. There are a lot of cops out today. Damn, it's going to be crazy. Um, and so ley lines are completely different from earth energy lines. Fixed ley intercepts, a.k.a. flies, are untapped energy connections, uh, untapped connections. And that is more evident and hopefully it understand it helps you understand the phenomena that drew people from the sleep state to the awake state. Very few people can command terminals as such. There are very specific ley lines, but also operators, right? Because they can detect operators. Um, so hopefully, um, that helps dispel the who is, it's actually the what is, or the when is. As I said, when I started um, my radio show, a lot of the things that I would say would challenge status quo. But imagine if 10 years ago, someone told you that we're throwing in particles in the clouds to make them rain, you'd say that's stupid, even though they started doing it 30 years ago. So if someone was to tell you and that you understand the concept that time is not linear and that the past, present, and the future coexist, it wouldn't be a terrifying thought to be able to understand that some things you just can't explain right now because you haven't been taught that. And like that lady that I played explaining these energy points, which I was hoping it was more laid out ley lines, but uh, she was pretty good. She said the perceived historical narrative or the historical narrative we have been provided. 2022, MMXXII. <laughs> pretty iconic. I mean, when it comes up to three rods, now that's crazy. But it is the time for liberation. I mean, that should be a liberating number. MMXXII. Pretty liberating number. MMXXII. 2022. The year of recompense where divine order will come in, where there'll be a sigh of relief, 
right after the heat of what's perceived as summer. And then the baby's out and there's going to be a lot of screaming, but it's going to be good screaming. And the birth pains are done. It's nine months of birth pains, right? Nine months to carry it. Maybe we should, uh, well, we should have started the clock on December 1st, <laughs> not January 1st. But um, it's going to be a time where things are going to start to kind of fall into place unexpectedly. Uh, lots of wins. But like I said, with so many people going, obviously, you know, your Hollywood executives, your big CEOs, your big company in, you know, your entrepreneurs, they're all at the end of their perceived and fed narrative lifetime lifespan. So the the fact that people <coughs> were bitching, excuse me, that Betty White passed away at 99 was insane. She's 99. There's a lot of people who are going to be dying that haven't even reached nine next year. And then their parents will feel the guilt. This is where the problem lies. The parents are going to feel the guilt and it terrifies me. And I know I love to troll those that have gotten the vaccine so much, but for those parents that have provided it to their children, it terrifies me as to what they would do. Every booster, every firmware upgrade they get is Russian roulette. You know, and now everyone's reporting how, oh, common ratties not in the United States. They're only using COVID. No shit. We covered that in August, right? Again, they're all making narratives. This is, please, in 2022, try to be able to discern things that already passed that they're making a big deal out of. You know, a lot of people are like, this person's saying that, you know, the COVID vaccines aren't the FDA approved ones. It's like, first of all, none of them are FDA approved, but I already told you that in August because it was fucking published in August by the, the, the CDC itself. It was like on there. Okay. It was on there. I did a whole freaking show, walked you through the whole thing. So when people are telling you, oh, this is it. Let's analyze this shit. You know, just just turn it off. When people are saying, oh, here's what you need to do. You need to do this. You need to do that. This is how you're going to get better. This is where you're going to... And you're going to be like, we've been talking about this for over a year. Is this some new thing? Is this not established? Is this not what, you know was i mean i'm 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 so confused <clears throat> the year of recompense right what does the word mean look it up it brings pure balance this is where people pay the piper okay it's definition i mean we can't even trust dictionaries anymore for definitions damn it so it's like can i really use it recompense the act of compensating for service or loss or injury. Make payment to, compensate. Make amends for, pay compensation for, payment or reward as for service rendered. <clears throat> like I told you, 
if you do good and you are giving good and you are pushing good, you will get that amplified. If you are pushing evil, oh boy, I do not want to be near. I'm already seeing it happen to people that I've seen and known. It eats you alive. It eats you alive. And there's going to be so many people that are going to be victim at their own hands. And, and this is, you know, parents that take decisions lightly, you know, it's going to be very disturbing because it's not going to be very easy to stomach. And we're not just talking about vaccines. We're talking about a lot of things, right? The full unfettered trust, the full unfettered trust in government because hi, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. (laughs) Wasn't it um, Ronald Reagan who said, don't, Always amongst the people that you speak with, remember, there are people that are disreputable and unworthy of your trust. And when you identify them or if someone tells you about them, you know, if if you tell someone, hey, this person is untrustworthy, then they'll just ban them or not listen to them. But what a wise person does is, yeah, I don't trust CNN, but I'm going to listen to what they have to say. And I will take necessary measures to ensure that I am protected. And I'm going to take a look at what they have to say. This is how it is. There's three levels of, oh my gosh, what do they call that thing? I'm so stuck on the word. You know, when you're, when you have flour and you want to get the lumps out, uh, you use, um, what is it called again? Damn, the word, tip of my tongue. Looking at the chat, someone throw me a bone, a sift, sifter, right? Okay, so there's three sifters that you're going to use when you're dealing with information, okay? So um, the first one is the sifter of truth. Right. When you say something or convey something to someone you love, the first filter that you're going to use is that of truth. Is what you're going to tell them true to the best of your knowledge? Right. Um, Is it something that you've heard yourself or watched with your eyes? Is it something that you understand yourself? This is where a lot of people say, well, you know, I kind of overheard it, right? This is where they don't really come out and say, oh, yeah, 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 it's that. Be very careful with the words you use when conveying information in 2022. So you go with truth, right? You go with truth first. Now, if the first layer of filters or sift that you use, you have to use the filter of goodness, right? You're going to sift it through something good. So when you're speaking of someone or something, right, aside from the truth, you're going to use it through a sifter of good, okay? A sifter of good. It's very important that we use it. You know, this is Socrates um, method. So if you're going to talk smack on somebody, if you're going to talk smack on something, if you're going to attack it and it's not going to be something good, then 
you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't put it through. You shouldn't. And the last filter, and I'm going to start practicing this filter a lot. Is it necessary? Is it necessary? Because sometimes I say things because I know what they're capable of and I can sniff it out. The one that will put you down as if you're a rabid dog because they feel safe, right? The one with 50 masks. The fact that my judge hasn't freaking answered on my case because he's going to fucking be like, oh, it's moot now. The school has them, you know, elective. Like maybe you can wear them if you want to. So four months in court and all I get is, oh, it's moot now. The high school, you know, is going to implement maybe not mandatory, but, you know, you decide if you want to wear masks, you know. See, was that necessary? I I think so. Right. But was it good? No, it was bitching. So is it necessary? Is it good? And is it true? I have to start practicing that too. Only because I say a lot of random stuff to random people, hoping that one of them wakes them up. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one in that boat because 2022 is going to be so hard. And I'm not saying it's going to be hard for you. It's going to be a really, really bad year because when you bring order right? It's where you're paying the piper. And, um, you know, they're, when they're going down, they'll do anything to stay afloat. Okay. They will do anything to stay afloat. And if they're coming down hard, damn, they're going to take everyone as far as they can down with them. So let's just pretend Pelosi's going down. She'll destroy you with legislation before she goes. If, you know, Kamala's going down, she'll destroy you with something before she goes. This is what they do. You know, it's like that mean kid that just got in trouble and then kicks the door and makes a hole in it. So the year of recompense, they're terrified of you. They're already, they're already talking about how the youth is, um, in, are in cells, right? They're terrified of the youth. This is where recompense comes in. Recompense. They come in. And, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be a doozy. And it's not a bad thing, right? I still want to know where some things, you know, some things that happened. I want to know what really happened in Syria with the chemical warfare. I really, really want to know what's going on in Idlib. I really want to know why they shot down MH17. I also want to know where the fuck is MH370, you know, these Malaysian airlines. Now, why is it always Malaysian airlines where the planes go missing? Like, what? So I want to know all these things. I want to know... I want answers as to why they felt that they needed to do this. I want answers as to who's paying for this and who's paying for that. I want answers as to who funded the vaccines. I want answers as to who's funding the new masks they're pushing. I want answers as to who's funding the propaganda that's being flushed down every single orifice of your body, ears, eyes, mouth, everything. They're just force feeding you. Probably. I want to know. And that's recompense. Whatever they've been dishing, they're about to get served. So that's how we are definitely winning because it'll be really painful, really painful. So on that note, uh, we need God more than anything. 
I wish all of you a healthy new year, a healthy, stealthy, and wealthy new year. And the only thing I, on, uh, on top of all of that, most important thing, I wish you can find your still. Therefore, your discernment is not something that you will have to question. You will simply know. Happy New Year. Here's to MX, MMXXII. Fuck 2021. And let's eat 2022 for lunch. Crazy baby, chill, don't medicate, just meditate You waking up now, well baby, you hella late Educate, look at what's going on, let it resonate Accelerate, find your inner hunger like you never ate Agenda is to push the hate, separate and segregate Don't celebrate quite yet, the storm is coming, cue for heaven's sake Violence that they demonstrate, instigate and penetrate The values of our country and our God is what they desecrate My fighters ain't no featherweight Pulling out the seams of the fabric that they fabricate They feed us lies, manipulate, intimidate through fear and force Forcing us to sit and wait Till we come together, congregate, and then we liberate Praying that you give me strength to find some love amongst the hate Marching on these streets of blood Till I see the golden gates Troubadour, troubled souls, one of God's servants Blades out, cut the grass till we see the serpent oh, One day, I hope you see the truth this puppet show stays on because of you fools. We've been dancing with the devil way too long. I know it's fun, but get ready to pay your dues. Oh, God, come back home. This crazy world is fearless. One day they finally see the truth God, we need you I know the truth is hard to swallow, just digest it Suspected something's going on, but chose to just neglect it Deflected by some breaking news, oh, we just accept it Expected just to fall in line and follow their perspective Don't question their objective, but I got a lot of questions How these kids molested, but nobody's been arrested Read it in the testament, these children are protected So I'm fighting all these terrorists, both foreign and domestic Refuse to be directed Lying, not a sheep, only kneel to my God, so I'm dying on my feet. I'm silence when we speak, but there's violence in the street. I've been rolling with the punches, I can't take it on the cheek. I drink from a glass half full, I'm optimistic. People are sadistic, so vicious and malicious. Praying for assistance to overcome my position, or I'm gonna start resisting and then I pray for forgiveness. Oh, one day, I hope you see the truth. This puppet show stays on because of you fools. We've been dancing with the devil way too long. I know it's fun, but get ready to pay your dues. Oh, God, come back home. This crazy world is fearless and abusers. Need you now before we're too far gone I hope one day they find
finally see the truth. God, we need you now. We need you now. Doesn't look good. 